Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. The re-release of MGM's wonderful 1939 musical fantasy film, The Wizard of Oz, in a newly digitized format should prompt more people to read the even more wonderful book. Their reading pleasure will be enhanced by understanding that L. Frank Baum wrote the book as a parable, whose point is even more poignant today than when it was first published in 1900, that the wizards of Washington are a bunch of charlatans running a scam on the little people of America. Baum drew the book's symbolism from William Jennings Bryan's campaign for the national government to back its paper money with silver as well as gold. Bryan's opponent in the 1896 and 1900 presidential elections was William McKinley, who supported the gold standard alone. Bryan argued that the gold standard actually depressed the economy, thereby crucifying America on a cross of gold. The hard times are represented by the bleakness of the Kansas in which Dorothy finds herself at the beginning of the book. Dorothy represents every woman, and the cyclone that carries her to the land of Oz is apparently a Bryan civil right victory at the polls. The land gets its name from the civil rights wanting 16 ounces of silver, abbreviated, of course, by OZ, to be the monetary equivalent of one ounce of gold. Her own house lands on the Wicked Witch of the East, who represents the Eastern Wall Street and banking elite, killing the witch and freeing the munchkins, who represent the ordinary folks from their bondage. The Good Witch of the North, representing the more enlightened Northern electorate, tells Dorothy that the Wizard of Oz may be able to help her get home. To reach him, she must travel the yellow brick road, a pathway made of gold ingots, which may be done only with silver slippers. Alas, the Hollywood version changed them to ruby for better visual contrast. She meets Brian's supporters along the way. There is the scarecrow, who represents a farmer who thinks he has no brains. There is the tin woodsman, who represents the industrial laborer, who thinks he has no compassion. And then there is Brian himself, represented as a cowardly lion. He might be the king of the jungle if he would only recognize his destiny and boldly, bravely claim it. This ragtag electoral coalition gets to the national capital, the Emerald City, whose greenish hue is an optical illusion, just as the greenback dollar is illusory money. The wizard proves to be a complete charlatan as he confesses to himself, how can I help 
but being humbug when all these people make me do things that everybody knows can't be done. It was easy to make the scarecrow and the lion and the woodsman happy because they imagined I could do anything. He blames his actions on the poles, but at least he's honest with himself. Uh, To get Dorothy back to Kansas, he suggests a hot air balloon, but the old windbag carries him away instead, leaving Dorothy behind. The book is, in the end, about political and human truths of far broader import than the elections of 1896 and 1900, both of which McKinley won. The scarecrow learns that he always had brains, the woodsman that he always had a heart, the lion that he always had courage. Dorothy, too, learns that with her silver shoes, she always had the means to return home. The message is that ordinary people can take care of themselves if they only would realize their full potential, work together, and do not put themselves into the thrall of self-professed experts wielding the illusory powers of government. Unfortunately, this populist libertarian message was quite uncongenial to Yip Harburg, the socialist and new dealer who wrote the script and composed all of the music for the movie. His Hollywood slant actually makes the wizard a force for good. Although he's still a fast talker and overpromiser, he's not a fraudulent humbug because he instills Dorothy, her companions, and his own people with the confidence that they all needed to succeed. He gives them, however, indirectly what the New Deal ostensibly promised the American people, brains, heart, and courage. The Wizard's farewell address was readily identifiable to movie audiences in 1939 as very much in the style of Franklin Roosevelt. This not-so-subtle re-spinning of the story completely turns its meaning on its head. In the book, Dorothy seeks the security of home in the national capital, but finds nothing there but bombast and trickery. She discovers in the process that she and her fellow citizens actually already have what it takes to live the good life. In the movie, though, the conclusion is just the opposite. Dorothy and the whole rest of the cast find that they need charismatic and expert leaders. Thus, it is the better part of wisdom to keep on ennobling, empowering, and electing the wizards. L. Frank Baum wrote 16 sequels to The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. They all hammered home essentially the same message— sozzled with preposterous false expectations and bedazzled by a ceaseless chatter of well-meaning platitudes, the political wizards have only told the truth about the falsehood that they tell. Like all the quacks and coney catchers that crowd the public troughs through the ages, their suppositions drift ethereally above normal logical processes and pass into the murky domain of transcendental metaphysics. It is the perfect fantasy, made only too real 
when the rest of us indulge in lackadaisical political and cultural canoodling instead of taking up the difficult task of restoring the standards of justice, mercy, and truth in the land, instead of doing the work of resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net or adoringgod.org.